Hello, and on this episode of the Mortgages, Money and More podcast, we have Marty Nan back from CS Financial to give us a first-time buyer update. Great to chat with you again, Marty. How's it all going? Hi, Tansa. Thanks for having me back again. It's excellent. Thank you. How are you? Good, good. Yes, I'm all good too. Thank you for asking. So our first time buyers, let's get straight into these questions that we've got here then. So is there any help for first time buyers in 2023 uh, this year? Are there any changes to any of the schemes? Um, Should we start with the first home scheme? Yes, absolutely. So um, what I'll do is uh, there's a couple of different, or there's more than a couple, there's some schemes. So we'll actually, if you're okay with it, we'll go through them um, just so people can have an idea of the different types of schemes and sort of the criteria for each scheme as well and how it works, if that's okay. Yes, definitely, definitely. Okay, so uh, the first home scheme. Um, this scheme can potentially help people to buy a home for between 30 to 50% less than the market value. Um, it's it's designed for new homes that are built by a developer or a home that you buy from somebody else who actually bought it as part of that scheme. So it's quite contained within the scheme. Um, it's also currently only available in England. There are some conditions. Um, you have to be 18 or older to be a first-time buyer. You need to be able to obtain a mortgage for at least half the price of the home. And the household income cannot be more than £80,000 outside of London £90,000 in London. There also can be additional conditions depending on the location as the local council may also set eligibility conditions. You do need to look for new homes that are advertised by developers as part of the first home scheme and the home cannot cost more than £420,000 in London or £250,000 outside of London but that's after the discount has been applied. One big proviso with this is that is to do with your future sale. So like mentioned previously, you can only sell the home to somebody who's eligible for the first home scheme. You do have to give them the same percentage discount that you got when you bought the home, which is then applied to the value of the property at the time of your sale. It can be a bit complicated, this one. So like any of these schemes, the first step in the process is to always contact a mortgage protection advisor who can then guide you down the subsequent steps as they're a little bit different than a standard purchase. Okay, so lots to take away from that. That was really detailed, so thank you. Um, now, 100% mortgages have come back, haven't they, just recently? Yes, um, it's good news to some. Uh, other people are talking about it like it's the oncoming storm, like it's the Armageddon has arrived back again, but I personally, I don't think that's the case. So the 100% mortgage is essentially a no-deposit mortgage. Um, there is only one available at the minute, and it's called a track record mortgage. It is a very specific deal with a specific lender, which is Skipton, and it's available to first-time buyers as long as they have a 12-month track record of rental payments, but it does also include the standard credit and affordability checks as well. Right, okay. So one to think about there, it is an option though. Now, the next scheme we have here, I always struggle to say it's a bit of a mouthful, but... I think we've got what is known as a joint borrower sole proprietor scheme. So this scheme, uh, this is a really, really good scheme. It basically, it allows for two people to apply for a mortgage, you know, like a father and a son, and that can help increase the affordability of the mortgage because it uses both incomes to support the mortgage application. But only one person, let's say, for example, in this scenario, the son would actually own the property. So it can be a really fantastic tool for parents or guardians to help first-time buyers get on the property ladder. But the mortgage itself, 
Standard mortgage is just the, the way that it's processed in terms of this joint buyer, sole proprietor. Okay. And is, is that sort of like the, the new version of the guarantor mortgage? Uh, yes and no. Um, the guarantor mortgage, so let's just break that one down. The guarantor mortgage is for a client or clients who don't have enough income to qualify for a mortgage on their own. It's a little bit different from the joint buyer, sole proprietor. The guarantor is actually providing a guarantee that they will repay the loan if the borrower does not. The difference is that the guarantor scheme's not widely available. Uh, in fact, I, I did a little bit of research before we spoke, and there's only three lenders out of everybody, and there's hundreds of lenders in the UK. There's only three lenders currently who would accept a guarantor application. Uh, the joint buyer sole proprietor is not a direct replacement for it, but it is a fantastic alternative to it. Okay, there we go. And then we've got what is known as shared ownership. Yeah, so shared ownership has been around for a long time. Um, basically, this allows the, the purchase of a, a share of a, pro, a property, a percentage share, let's say 25%. Then on the remaining share, the 75%, you would actually pay rent to the landlord. You can potentially own more of the property in the future. This is what everybody refers to as staircasing. So maybe you'll buy an extra 25% or an extra 55%. It can actually change. And then your rent would actually decrease because you're owning more of the property, but obviously your mortgage would increase because you've taken out a mortgage potentially to buy that extra share. One of the key benefits then of shared ownership is that you actually only need a deposit based on the share of the property you're purchasing, not the full market value. So I think that's brilliant. So for example, let's just use some easy figures. If you're buying a property worth 100000 and then you're purchasing a share at 25%, then you only need to provide a deposit for the 25,000, uh, 25, which, you know, standard 10% deposit there would be 2,500, which is a lot different than a 10,000 uh, £10, deposit on a standard mortgage. Okay, there we go. Lots of numbers. So I'm glad you explained that there. Um, now, do you think we've sort of covered all the schemes there? Are there any others or are they sort of the main ones to watch out for? There is actually a couple that I think are worth mentioning. One of them, well-known, one of them not so well-known. So the, the more well-known one is the right-to-buy scheme. So this is based around if you've been living in a commercial property. There is criteria for it, but if you fit into that criteria, you might be able to purchase your council home at a significant discount. And there's potentially no deposit required as the discount actually acts as the deposit. So that one is really, really useful. But obviously, it only applies if you've been living in a council property for a period of time. And then the less well-known one is what's called a concessionary purchase. So this one, it, it's a bit detailed, but essentially, it's it's essentially a purchase between, say, the buyer and maybe a family member or a landlord. But the house is, again, it's sold at a discount. And again, the discount is actually used as the deposit. So uh, let's say the property, you're renting property from somebody and it's worth 150000 but it's being sold to you for 100000 the landlord wants to sell the property, then the 50000 discount there would actually be treated as your deposit. Okay, so lots of great schemes or options there depending on your circumstances. And just to confirm as well, uh, this is at the time of recording the episode in June 2023. So we will move on, Marty. Let's just go back to basics a little bit. So how is the mortgage process different for first-time buyers? So from a technical point of view, it's not really all that different unless the purchase is part of one of those schemes and there may be some extra steps might apply like the first home scheme. But you know, on a more personal level, 
first-time buyers, they rarely have the experience of, uh, you know, somebody maybe that's buying a new home and they've been they've bought previously or a remortgage. So ideally, the first step for them is actually should be speaking to a mortgage protection advisor who can help guide them through the whole process. So even before you start looking for a house, right up until they move in, that's the time to be speaking to a mortgage advisor. Maybe that's the biggest difference because somebody maybe that's buying a new home, they might go out and start looking at homes first because they know what a mortgage is. Maybe they know how much they can borrow. They have that experience, whereas the first-time buyer doesn't have that experience. And this process of, I don't want to say, I don't want to sound condescending, but it's all—it's almost like holding somebody's hand, you know, throughout that entire process. And I think that's needed. And I mean, certainly that's the way that I work for my first-time buyer clients. And I know for a fact they appreciate having somebody there to support them at all times. It is the process itself can be slightly overwhelming and it rarely goes smoothly. So I think making sure that you have someone helping you and guiding you is just absolutely paramount. Um, I know personally my first-time buyer clients really appreciated me. They look out for me looking out for their best interests. And I actually have an example for you, and I was talking about this recently. Uh, a first-time buyer couple, they sent me a property they were looking at, and the property was on offer for 375000 but it was massively overvalued. And when I looked into it, they asked me what to offer on it, and I gave them a figure. And they actually, the offer was accepted for 35000 less. So and one conversation, one phone call saved that client 35000 just in upfront, but never mind the interest on a mortgage as well. So I think that that's where the, the process is different, having somebody on hand at all times to make sure that you're not getting you're not getting screwed over. You're not being taken advantage of. I think that is the, the biggest difference. So if you're a first-time buyer, first thing you need to do is find your mortgage advisor. I suppose, you know, especially for a first-time buyer, it is so important, isn't it? Because like you said, it can be daunting and it can be a minefield. And actually, there's a lot of jargon involved as well, isn't there? So that leads us nicely on to the next question. So what is an agreement in principle? An agreement in principle is a tool of many names. You know, there's mortgage certificate, there's decision in principle, there's agreement in principle, but essentially it's an indication that a lender will consider an application for a mortgage. It can also let you know your maximum borrowing. It can help guide you with a purchase price. Um, obviously, once you apply your deposit to that as well. Now, the key thing is it's not actually a guarantee of lending. It's not a guarantee that a lender will offer you a mortgage. Again, it's just an indication of how much they might lend. Here's a maximum figure, for example. Um, it can just be a figure that you take for yourself. You know, this is how much I can borrow. Or an estate agent might actually ask for a document to support your offer um, to, to make sure that your offer is accepted. So they might request that actual agreement in principle from the lender to support your offer, which are easily available. A mortgage advisor can get them for a client at any time. Okay, so there we go. Um, now, we've obviously talked through the schemes already, but what is a first-time buyer ISA and are these still available? So a first-time buyer ISA, or there's another name for it, the Help to Buy ISA, it was a government scheme designed to help people save money to buy a home. Now, unfortunately, the scheme is now closed and new Help to Buy ISAs are not available, although you can actually still use any existing Help to Buy ISA. So as part of the scheme, the government would actually top up your savings by 25% when you buy your first home. 
the 25% bonus for any existing claims, it must be claimed by November 2030. So the scheme actually has now more or less been replaced with what's known as the lifetime ISA. So I was just going to give you a little bit of information on that. This is available to anybody that's over 18 and under 40. So even though it's called a lifetime ISA, you can only apply for it if you're under 40. And it can be used to buy your first home. Essentially, you can contribute up to £4,000 each year until you're 50. And then the government will actually add a 25% bonus each year up to £1,000. If you use that money then to buy a home, property has to cost 450000 or less. You have to be applying for a mortgage and you have to buy the property at least 12 months after you make your first payment into the lifetime ISA. So a bit like the have to buy ISA. There is criteria. There are exclusions to the schemes as well. Um, but essentially, that's what it's, you know, that's what it does. It's, it's a savings tool designed to have somebody purchase their first home. Okay, so another useful option there, but a few things to bear in mind as well that you pointed out. Um, So the next question we have here asks, what is the average deposit for a first-time buyer in the UK 2023? Yeah, I like this question because anyone that knows me knows that I like to be awkward. And I'm going to be awkward here because I don't like the word average. So the word average it's, you know, it's a median. It suggests that everybody is in a similar position when it comes to buying a home. And that just it simply isn't true. So many factors to consider. There's savings, there's income, there's location, there's property prices. So it's really difficult to get an average as everybody has unique circumstances. My advice to people is to, like before, speak to a mortgage advisor if you're a first-time buyer before you do anything else chat about all the different options available including the ones that we've discussed here today so again there are zero deposit mortgages there are five percent ten percent and higher deposits the more deposit you can provide might end up putting you in a better financial position over the long term as you can actually access more attractive interest rates but the real truth of the matter is that the mortgage advisor's job is to help you buy your home based on your circumstances that's why average is a misleading word the goal here is to get somebody a home. It's not to get a mortgage. Nobody wants a mortgage. I've never actually talked to a single person that says, yes, I'd love a mortgage. People want homes and the mortgage, excuse me, is just a tool to get their home. People want to own their own homes. And that's what I have facilitated. So regardless of how much deposit they might have, we want to get somebody into a home. That's the goal here. Yeah, I think that's a really, really great, points there actually so we'll move on away from that uh, how much can i borrow as a first time buyer i think borrowing it's it's always the popular question isn't it yeah um again this is very similar to the deposit question it depends on your personal circumstances like your income what type of interest rate attracts you are you buying on your own are you buying with a partner what's your current level of debt how's your credit history you know there's a long list of variables that can alter how much you can borrow it's very easy for someone to say, yes, the bank will lend you four and a half times your income, but the reality is much different. That figure, actually, that's it's out in public now. You know, you just multiply your salary by 4.5, and that's how much you can borrow, but it's not true. That's an indication of the maximum borrowing, but what you can actually borrow could be very different than that. So I don't want to keep sounding like a broken record, but the best way to figure this out, to figure out how much you can borrow, simply to get in touch with a mortgage advisor, 
and you know we can figure it out together and we can start that journey of owning the first home. Okay, there we go. Um, and speaking of credit history, actually, Marty, do I need a credit check? People would like to know, and how do I know what my credit score is, and how do I improve it? So most full mortgage applications will involve a credit check. Getting an, an agreement in principle, the decision in principle, that will involve a soft credit check, meaning there's no footprint left from the soft check, but it is recorded. A soft check also won't impact your credit score. So I always ask my clients to obtain a copy of the credit report before starting any journey in terms of a mortgage so we can identify any issues, how to solve them, or as you've asked, how to improve a credit score. But bear in mind, the credit score number is not the be-all and the end-all of things. You know, it's just a number that dictates what it looks like on your credit score. Your actual credit report has so much more information than that. And a mortgage application is more than just that number as well. It's more about how you actually manage your finances. But there are ways to improve it. If somebody is looking to improve it, there are ways to do that, such as you register and vote. That can have a big, big impact on a credit score. You need to be able to prove that you're able to manage credit. And having a small amount of credit can help in this regard, you know, like a small credit card, credit card with a small limit that's repaid in full each month. That basically shows credit worthiness and that actually can help improve your overall score. Make sure you pay your bills on time and stay within your limits. For example, try and avoid using unauthorized overdrafts. Avoid making multiple applications for credit within a short space of time. This can actually indicate that you're struggling for money. So even though that might not actually be true, it can indicate to lenders if there's a small or a number of applications in a short, small period of time that could indicate financial difficulty. And again, check in your credit report. You know, you could, there are many services to let you check your credit score. So keep an eye on it. Know what's going on. Know what's going on with the actual credit that you have available. So it's not just about your score. But once you see your report, you should be able to fix any errors or mistakes as well. Okay, well, some great tips to take away there and to remember. So moving on, of course, we've got to cover costs. And I think it's always good to know these, uh, you know, in advance ahead of time so that you've not got any surprises. So what sort of costs are involved when buying a house or your first home? Um, do you just want to run through a list of the costs that, that we can expect? Um, so I, I have a, a short list here. So first one, stamp duty. So now is actually a good time to buy a house as there's been changes to stamp duty. For example, if your property costs 425000 or less and you're a first-time buyer, then there's no stamp duty. So, you know, I hear people saying, is it a good time to buy? It's absolutely a good time to buy because you could save thousands with that, the reduction of that stamp duty. Um, there's also mortgage fees. So maybe fees to arrange the mortgage or as part of a product application, for example, Give nine thousand or sorry nine hundred ninety nine pounds to apply for a two year fixed rate, something along those lines. There are usually multiple fee options when you apply for a mortgage, and part of the mortgage application and the advice that I would give is actually discussing all the options with a client before they make any decisions, because in some respects it can actually be cheaper overall to not pay a fee, depending on how much money is borrowed. Uh, searches, there are property searches completed by your solicitor. These are used to find out information about the property ahead of the purchase. Three main searches completed are local authority, environmental, and water and drainage. The cost actually will depend on the solicitor, but I'd imagine around £300 is a good estimate for a search pack. Surveys. I get asked about this quite a lot. 
So there's typically three surveys to choose from. There's basic. This is usually, but not always, paid for by the lender, and therefore it's sent to them. It's the lender's copy. It's not even always shared with the seller. This basic valuation is to determine if the property is livable. Does it present suitable security for the lender? You shouldn't rely upon it for detailed information about the property. So the next one then is called a home buyer's report. So the clue to me, the clue is in the name here. This is a very popular choice. The cost starts around £400 and it can help identify structural issues like damp, but it doesn't look under the floorboards, it doesn't look behind the walls, it's quite aesthetic in nature, and it can actually include a valuation so the buyers could check that against their offer as well. Although if you include the valuation, it may come at an additional cost. And then the last one, so it's known as a full structural survey. This is the most comprehensive and therefore the most expensive report. Typically, it costs upwards of £600. It's good for older properties or properties of an unusual nature, but it is very extensive and it can actually be worth the extra money as advice and repairs is usually included as well. You will find out everything about the property with a full structural survey, which can be a good thing, could also be a bad thing, but you'll know everything. Then we have mortgage protection. So this should absolutely be a part of anybody's budget, first-time buyer, remortgage, buying a new house, whatever it might be. And it's not actually just about mortgage protection as well. Whenever you go through an application, an expert, a trusted advisor, should actually be identifying any potential gaps in your personal protection and then recommending solutions based on your client needs, like things like life insurance, critical illness, income protection, and home insurance. So the good news is, though, that this actually can be decided by your budget. The client input is extremely important here to make sure that no stone is left unturned. I harp on about protection. I cannot stress the importance of protection enough. It's good to get your home purchased, but when I'm doing these kinds of things, I want to make sure that somebody is not just buying a home, but they're staying in that home for as long as they want to. Um, And the last one, then, there may actually be solicitor costs. So, well, there will be solicitor costs when buying a home. It is dependent on the solicitor for the exact cost, but I would always discuss a budget for a solicitor with my clients before they engage so we can try and find something maybe that suits their budget. Okay, so quite a list there, but it's always good to know, isn't it, to budget and save. And going back to the mortgage protection as well, we've actually covered quite a few episodes on this, haven't we, if anybody's wondering and wants to find out anything else in a little bit more detail, the different policies. So um, they're there on the website as well. Uh, So people would like to know then, how can I improve my chances of getting a mortgage as a first-time buyer? I'm I'm guessing preparation is key here. Yes, preparation is key. But as I have already said, and I think I've covered it quite a bit already, I'm trying to subliminally plant this into people's minds. Number one, speak to a mortgage advisor before you do anything. As soon as that idea comes into your head, maybe I'll buy apps. That's the time that you should be speaking to a mortgage advisor because that's when their job starts and the job doesn't end until you're in the property. You know, the mortgage advisor helps guide you on every step of the process. And it could even be starting, you know, how much do I need to save? How can I save enough money? Are there any savings plans? So they can give information on saving a deposit uh, right up to picking a solicitor towards the end of the process. You have an expert on hand to answer questions and ensure you have the best possible chance of buying the home. You can do it on your own, but why would you? You know, I don't know anybody that fixes their car on their own wherever there's something wrong with it, unless they're actually a qualified mechanic. And you're 
you know, in terms of a mortgage, you're probably diminishing your efforts by doing it on your own. Um, there is a reason mortgage advisors exist, after all, it's to look after people, is to have them achieve their ambitions with buying homes. As I've said before, it's not just about finding the best interest rate. There's so much more to it than that. Yeah, a very good point there. Again, I think you've nicely demonstrated actually throughout this episode how a mortgage broker can help if you are a first-time buyer. Um, is there anything else we need to know here, Marty, or do you think we've pretty much covered all that we can? Yeah, I just I had some examples of you know specific things that a mortgage broker can help with if you are a first-time buyer. I thought these would be useful to go through. Um, so just run through my list here. So we've got explaining where to start with a deposit or as a particular home buying scheme, you know, the things that we mentioned earlier, um, getting you a decision in principle, offering guidance on properties that you're interested in, completing your mortgage application, dealing with the lender on your behalf, helping you find a solicitor and dealing with the solicitor on your behalf, finding the right protection for you and your family that fits your needs and your budget, helping you source a property valuation report. And the last one, answering any and all questions you might have at any stage of the process. That's just a short list. I mean, honestly, I could go on, but I, I don't want to bore people. And I think we've covered the basics at this point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, th- there is a lot involved, isn't there? A lot of factors. So um, that's kind of a really good summary there to take away from the episode. So thank you for that, Marty, as always. And hopefully we'll catch you again on another episode soon. That was my pleasure. Thank you very much. Please note, Your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up with your mortgage repayments.